Okay, due to technical difficulties, we're starting about five minutes late, but let's begin. Welcome to our 10th class. We're going to review question 9 this morning, and then we're going to look forward to question 10. Look to learn question 10 together and understand question 10. Let's pray, and then we'll review the uh, first eight questions and get started. Father in heaven, thank you for this day that you've made. And we're here to rejoice and be glad in it, to worship you, to read your word together, to pray together, to fellowship with one another, to devote these next few hours to you. We ask that you'd help us in everything that we are trying to do today. Open our hearts to you, make us sensitive and able to understand your word. And now, as we put our hearts and minds to this truth, we ask that you would take this truth and sink it deeply into our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, question number one, let's say the answer together. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Question two, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in His power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through Him and by His will. Question three. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Question four. How and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in His own image to know Him, love Him, live with Him, and glorify Him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to His glory. Question 5. What else did God create? God created all things by His powerful Word, and all His creation was very good. Everything flourished under His loving rule. Question 6. How can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will commands, and law. Question 7. What does the law of God require? Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done. And what God commands should always be done. Question 8. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? Uh, 
<laughs> that was going to be showing my weakness if I didn't get that up because I don't know if I could pull this one off. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. Okay. And the one that we have memorized for today, zooming in on these first three commandments and elaborating. Question nine. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence, honoring also His word and works. As usual, I have small prizes for any kids, middle school and down, who can recite question nine and the answer for us. Anybody? Anybody today? Okay, Caleb, stand up. Loud and proud, question nine. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? Nice job, Caleb. <laughs> I missed Caleb and nailed Wes. <laughs> Anybody else? Wes? <laughs> Anyone? We struggled with this one. It's funny. I have, we have more time than we did with the other ones, but we didn't get it done in our family. We were gone on some vacation. That was part of it. Okay, nobody else? All right. Let me read it again. First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence, honoring also His word and works. Amen. Okay, let's move on to question 10 now. Here's what we'll be memorizing this week. We do have class next week, and then we have some more breaks that we'll remind you of. Question 10 is, now moving on to the fourth and fifth commandments, what does God require in the fourth and fifth commandments? That's funny, I have like this notification showing up on my phone, but thankfully it doesn't show up there. It was asking me if I've fed my kitten. I don't. Right. Yes. It's not mine. Okay. Fourth, that on the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God. 
rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and our mother, submitting to their godly discipline and direction. And for the kids who want to memorize a more concise version in yellow, fourth, that on the Sabbath day we spend time in worship of God. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and mother. So let's make sure that we understand these. Let's talk briefly now about the fourth commandment and the fifth commandment. I hope this is helpful for you. These are one of these things that if we've been Christians for long or been in the church for long, that you, know, you, you, hear, you hear them and sort of get inoculated to them where you don't, you don't really think anymore and don't engage with the commandment anymore and think deeply about them. So we're trying to really understand what these commandments are, maybe some of us in a, in a new light. So the fourth commandment, which this addresses, is to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so here's what the first part says. Say it with me, the first part. Fourth, that on the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5.12 says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. So that's the commandment. Maybe the most overlooked commandment. I don't, I don't think this was observed at all in my house growing up. Uh, I may have even been taught or at least picked up somewhere that this commandment didn't uh, apply anymore. That's what I believed, I think, going into college. So, But that's not true, of course. These are, these are timeless, these commandments that God gives us. So let's think for a little bit about what this means. We're, we're drawing it out now in this commandment. So what we're told here is that on the Sabbath day, what it means to observe the Sabbath day is, it, is at least these things. We spend time in public worship of God. So what are we doing Every Sunday together as a church family, we're spending time in public worship of God. You remember the Jews up until the time of Christ's death and resurrection celebrated the Sabbath on the last day of the week. They worshiped on the last day of the week. Orthodox Jews still worship on the last day of the week on Saturday. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ which was on the first day of the week on Sunday, that day of worship changed to Sunday. And we've been worshiping God every week since on Sunday. So it's part of our recognizing the Sabbath. It's part of obeying this commandment that we spend time in public worship of God. You should also spend time in private worship of God on the Sabbath. We rest from routine employment. Now, there are varying views of how we should observe the Sabbath, and there are varying views of what kind of work that you should abstain from. What this is saying is that, at the very least, your normal work, okay, your what normally employs you throughout the week, whether that is 
digging ditches, whether that is sending and receiving faxes and filing files, whether that is doing laundry, whatever it is that you take a day, which in the Bible is 24 hours, and you, you rest from that. Instead, right, you're spending time devoted to public and private worship. You are serving God. You are serving others. And in doing all that, you are looking forward to the eternal Sabbath. Okay? The eternal rest where we're going to be feasting and celebrating with God and worshiping Him forever in the resurrection. So, let me just give you some um, practical ideas of of, of what this look like could look like in your family by letting you know what we do. And we could certainly improve in the Myers household. But um, So we observe the Sabbath day in the Myers house by setting aside 24 hours. And those 24 hours we set aside are for uh, gladness and gratitude. That's based on our understanding of what the Sabbath is to be about. So it's gladness and gratitude. We are grateful all the time, but we are especially grateful on the Sabbath and glad that Jesus has conquered death so that we can be saved from our sin and reconciled to God for new and better life. And so those 24 hours for us start at roughly 6 p.m. on Saturday night and they run until six, it runs until 6 p.m. on Sunday night. And we kick it off with uh, what we call Sabbath dinner in our home. Some of you have been a part of that at our house, and that meal is around 6 o'clock on Saturday night, and we come together, and we read the Bible, and we sing together, and we pray together, and the meal is usually different from any other meal during the week. It's usually more lavish, it's more celebratory, and so we, we eat food, we usually drink wine, not the kids, and we begin the Sabbath with feasting, with celebrating, and then we go to bed, we get up, and then we come and spend time with our church family, we worship with all of you, and then we go home and we try not to do the dishes, right? And we try not to do the laundry, and we try not to do that work that normally keeps us occupied throughout the week. And then usually around 6 p.m. on the dot, the dishwasher fires up, the, the washing machine fires up, and we've got to get back to it and get, get ready for the week to come. But here's what that is. That's all an act of faith. That's all an act of faith, that expression of of gratitude. What it's saying is that we can take 24 hours, and it's okay. God's got this, right? God's going to take care of things. There are are things that we're, at least in RFA, my wife and I, the way we're wired, that we're very tempted in those 24 hours to not put the work down, but to keep the work going, because we've got to get it done, and if we don't get it done, things are going to fall apart. So it can be very difficult. For us, it really is an act of faith to say, no. God has provided everything that we need. God's going to continue to provide everything that we need. We can set aside these 24 hours and we can rest from all that work. We can enjoy God. We can enjoy one another. We can watch a movie. We can play a game. We can read the Bible. We can eat dinner together. We can do these things because we trust God. So we might pray something like this on a Sabbath dinner night. May our home overflow with joy. May that joy be poured out at this table. May we eat and drink with merry hearts. These are just scriptures that we're saying. The Lord is, we're told, He is preparing a table where one day we will all sit with Him. 
So may our time tonight, starting Saturday all the way through Sunday, prepare us for that great day. So just, that's an example of how we're trying to do that in the Myers family. We don't do that perfectly. Um, We're always looking to improve that. But that is our effort at obeying the fourth commandment. Listen, it's a commandment. So there's no getting out of that. So I just want to encourage you to think, and I can recommend resources if you like, about what that might look like to have a distinct day in your week that is devoted to gladness and gratitude, rest from your normal work. Okay, let's move on to the fifth one. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. So this is, you know, this is the best commandment in the Bible. The most important one, right? Kids that are here, you know the fifth commandment is the most important commandment. That we love and honor our father and mother. So here it is. Let's read it together. A little expansion here. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and our mother submitting to their godly discipline and direction. Here's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Probably, sadly, this was the first verse my kids all memorized. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is, right, I can hear all of them saying white. Because they knew it when they were that little and they couldn't say their R's. For this is white. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I thought the uh, in the catechism, the commentary that Timothy Keller submitted was, was really helpful. So let me read you what, what he said. Um, first about the fourth commandment. I should have read this earlier. And then the fifth commandment. But here's what he says about commandment number four, about the Sabbath day. If we... If we read the entire Bible, Old and New Testaments, we come to see that the command to remember the Sabbath day has two aspects to it. Here's what he says. First, it is a crucial practice. In our lives, we're commanded to have a rhythm of work and rest. And we are forbidden to overwork. We're also commanded to nurture our bodies and souls. We're not supposed to nurture only our bodies. We're to rejuvenate our souls through fellowship and through prayer and devotion and worship every week. So that's why this covers, you know, the spiritual and the physical, how we're spending that time. It's also, here's the second aspect. The first, that there's that rhythm of work and rest. It's also true, however, that the New Testament shows us that the Sabbath day points to a deeper kind of rest. Hebrews 4, in particular, says that when we believe in Christ and the gospel, we rest from our works. You know, let me, uh, let me, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews 4. I was checking to see if we had time, and I think we do. So in other words, when, when you rest 
on the Sabbath, when you devote this day to gladness and gratitude for what God has done, and you don't work for a day, you're reminding yourself that we don't work for our salvation, that our salvation is not dependent on what we do, on what God has done. But if, so if we're always working and we're always doing, it's going to be difficult to reflect on that and to think about that and to model that in your life. So if you set aside 24 hours and you say, I'm not going to work and I'm just going to devote this to public and private worship and serving God and serving others and gladness and gratitude, you're, you're modeling that you really believe that that your life and, and, and your future and your salvation is not dependent on you and what you do. It's dependent on what God has done. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe the gospel, you're going to have a really difficult time ceasing from your work for 24 hours. So Hebrews 4, I think it speaks for itself. and We don't have time to do an exposition of it. So let me just read Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he is somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said. They shall not rest. They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore. It remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news. Failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So that means, Timothy Keller goes on, the great burden of having to prove ourselves and having to earn our salvation is lifted from us. In this life, we get much of that deeper rest, and yet it's only completely realized in the future and the new heavens and the new earth. And we look for that and we long for that. It's deeply consoling, especially at times in which we're very weary. So we just went back and expounded again on the fourth. I should have done that earlier. But now here's that fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And he says this about it. 
and I found it helpful. The fifth commandment, to honor our parents, should also be read in light of the gospel. The command says that as children, we should obey our parents. As adults, we should respect and listen to our parents. So this commandment is not just for kids. I was tongue-in-cheek when I said it's the most important commandment in the Bible. Of course, these are all important commandments. It's not just for children. The commandment doesn't say children. That's what Ephesians says and draws out. But the commandment is that all of us, this is something that honors God, is that all of us honor our father and mother. That doesn't mean as adults that we're obeying our parents. Hopefully, as adults, your parents aren't giving you a lot of instructions. and You're, you're not obligated to obey your parents, but you're, honor, you're, you're obligated to respect them. That's a big discussion on what that looks like and depending on who your parents are and whether or not they're Christians. And there's so many things to talk about. But at the end of the day, we all need to respect our parents. We all need to honor our parents. And one of the ways we do that is by listening to our parents. And yet, Tim Keller goes on, his final paragraph. The gospel also reminds us that God is our father. By grace, we're brought into his family And He is our primary source of love. And if our primary phileo, that's one of the biblical words for love, relationship is with Him, then we are able to love and honor our parents well, not looking to them to provide what can be found in God alone. So that's really helpful if you have ungodly parents. Whether you're young or old, if you have ungodly parents, well, I don't agree with my parents about anything. Um, my parents aren't Christians. We have different worldviews. We have totally different beliefs. Uh, they have not been good to me or my family. They are not good to me or my family. How could I possibly honor and respect them? I have uh, so many emotions that, that push against that that make it extremely difficult. So this is where the gospel is helpful. Well, the gospel says that ultimately, right, you're submitting to God. That ultimately you're honoring God. Many of you have had or have a lousy mom and dad. I mean, you just, that's just, that's just the reality. You have a lousy mom or you have a lousy dad. Well, one of the things that God is to a Christian is what? We know, how do we, how do we open many of our prayers? How did, how did Jesus teach us to pray? We're praying to our Father, not who is on earth. Our Father who is where? Our Father who is in heaven. Now, ideally, right, and hopefully if you're parents, you've got kids, you are a source of love and, and affection and guidance and help to your kids. But again, a lot of you didn't have that dad or you didn't have that mom. But what the gospel teaches us is that God, that He is our ultimate source of love, that he is our ultimate source of help, that he is our ultimate source of affection, that everything, if you don't have a great mom and dad, that everything that a mom and a dad should be on this earth, God is ultimately in heaven. And so when you're, the Bible says, adopted into his family, that's what happens when you become a Christian, you're adopted into his family, he becomes your father and he is a perfect father. So what that means now, because of the gospel, is as I, don't, I don't need those things. I don't need to try to get those things from my earthly mom and dad. If you were a kid and you didn't get those things, that's sad. That's terrible. 
But now as an adult and as a Christian, you don't need to get those things from mom and dad on earth. You have those things from your father in heaven, which frees you to love and honor and respect, whatever that might look like, your mom and dad on this earth because you've been freed by the love and grace of God. Right? You know you're not going to get anything in return. But it's okay that you're not going to get anything in return. Because everything that you might want in return, you have fully in Christ. So, you see why this is so important. Because you can't obey that commandment without faith in God. You you can't obey that commandment if you don't know and love God. If you don't know who you are in Christ and who God is for you as your Heavenly Father, it's going to be impossible to obey that commandment. And doesn't it happen with a lot of these commandments? You're like, I just can't. I can't do this. Or this is very, when you start thinking about what they mean, this is very difficult to obey all these commandments. Absolutely. And someone who is not a Christian cannot obey these commandments. We need to know Christ in order to obey. Okay, so let's say it together uh, just one time and then look to memorize it this week what does god require in the fourth and fifth commandments fourth that on the sabbath day we spend time in public and private worship of god rest from routine employment serve the lord and others and so anticipate the eternal sabbath fifth that we love and honor our father and our mother submitting to their godly discipline and direction. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these commandments that you've given us in your word so that we know the kind of life that pleases you, that honors you, so that we know what your heart is for us, so that we know what you require of us. We learn about your holiness and what makes you distinct and what makes you different from anything else in the universe. God, we ask you give us the grace and the help we need to follow these commandments. Show us, God, what needs adjustment. Show us what needs to change. And give us the grace to do it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.